Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hey, Jordan Harbinger here. Subscribe to the only show that will show you how to apply the world's greatest ideas from the most striking minds. After presenting more than a thousand interviews, I couldn't be more compelled to introduce you to the Jordan Harbinger Show. We've got spies and CEOs, athletes and authors from Kobe Bryant to Malcolm Gladwell, Tony Hawk and Howie Mandel to the chairman of Google, founders of LinkedIn and Instagram, antiquities smugglers, con men, brilliant scientists, national heroes, and even the head of the CIA. Listed as Apple's best of 2018 and countless other awards that, let's be honest, you probably don't care about right now. So come and have a listen for yourself and join me as we exploit the superpowers of the world's most incredible thinkers, amazing achievers, and iconic change makers with their insights delivered right into your mind. You'll get that blueprint of their brilliance each week so that you can learn to live what you listen. Subscribe right now to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you're listening now. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash, like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP, but don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Know-how. General states pricing. Sales price does not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. Hello, everyone. It's Perry here. And before we continue today's episode of Collider Movie Talk, I have a question for you. Have you ever played Forge of Empires? It's a city-building game and also one of our sponsors for today's episode. In Forge of Empires, you can guide a village through the different epics of human history from the Stone Age all the way to the future. Through skillful planning on the battlefield, you can expand your sphere of influence and create an impressive empire. And what's more, there are continuous content updates to ensure years of fun together with millions of players around the world. And guess what? You can switch between browser, iOS, and Android devices at any time while playing the game. If you're new to Forge of Empires, I've got some good news for you right now. For a limited time, Collider fans can go to forgeofempires.com backslash Collider and get a bonus of $10 worth of diamonds. So download the game today by clicking the link in the description section of this video in order to get yourself a $10 starter package. This is going to get you 650 diamonds to start building your own empire. Diamonds are virtual in-game currency, no cash payout, and only for new registrations, not transferable. Simply go on over to forgeofempires.com backslash collider right now. Download, install, click, and claim gift, and get 650 diamonds right from the start. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales price does not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. 
It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hello, hello. We have some big news today. We're digging into this five-year post-Endgame plan that Marvel seems to have. On top of that, we've got some new information on Star Wars 9 straight from J.J. Abrams. And then get ready for this, Grease. We're getting a Grease prequel. I never thought I would open the show with that statement, but apparently that is something that's in the works at Paramount, and we are going to talk about it with Coy and Jeff. Welcome back, Coy. But I think it's an even bigger welcome back for this guy here, who we've missed for quite a while now. It's been a couple of weeks. It's good to be back. The studio hasn't changed at all. How were your Vegas adventures? I'm surprised you survived. Well, I mean, thank you, first of all, to to Steve, to Frosty, uh, my boss, for bailing me out of jail that one night. Uh, I appreciated it. It's supposed to stay in Vegas, man. Oh, that's right. What's happened there? Um, But yeah, no, CinemaCon was great. We We all saw that awesome Joker trailer that I love. Yes. Uh, I saw a lot of other cool stuff like Queen and Slim, uh, Guy Ritchie's uh, next movie, The Gentleman, which you know looks a lot I better than Aladdin. You know what I want you to talk about, though? What? I want you to talk about the statement you made earlier in the office about the movies you saw, the full movies you saw. They were the four best movies I've Thank seen all year. You. It was Wild, Wild Rose, Late Night, Blinded by the Light, and Long Shot. Uh, they showed all of those at CinemaCon, and yeah, they were the best movies I saw all year. I haven't Longshot seen Long Shot yet, but I can vouch for the other three. And Wild Rose is one that I hope does not fly too low under the radar because I want everybody to see Jesse Buckley's performance in that movie. She, it's it's probably the best performance I've seen all year. She's it's the great. best movie I've seen. She really is great. As much as I want to talk about all that, we have some big stories to get into today. And the first one on our list here is this five-year post-endgame plan that Marvel has. So other than Spider-Man Far From Home, we don't really have any concrete details as far as what's coming after Endgame. But during an interview with IGN, Kevin Feige confirmed that there is a flesh-out five-year plan. But basically, we shouldn't expect any announcements on this plan until after Far From Home comes out. And he even said that announcing their presence at Comic-Con this year would be an Endgame spoiler. So there's that. Feige also said that the studio is going to keep making movies, but... Don't count on anything involving the recently acquired X-Men or Fantastic Four yet. Feige basically reiterated that it was go time right now after the deal, after the merger was done. So there's that as well. And he also said that any hypothetical reboots of the Fantastic Four or of X-Men are probably a few years away. And he specifically said probably, probably only because, as you've heard me say before, until it was all done, we literally couldn't do anything. So essentially, it's sort of day one, but during that time we have built and fleshed out our five-year plan of where we're heading, the first few years of which we'll be announcing, as I said, relatively soon after these next two movies. All right, Koi, let's start with the five-year plan thing first, and specifically, when do you think we're going to hear about this five-year plan? Is it is he basically teeing up Comic-Con? I think Comic-Con is when we get moving on the five-year plan. I think that Sony is Spider-Man. The only reason we have any far-from-home information is because it's Sony. That's not Marvel. Marvel wanted to keep this all close to the chest. It's tricky because you're sharing rights to the character, so they couldn't do anything. I would rather not know even about Spider-Man. I wish I could have that suspension of disbelief, which is what led to all my interdimensional theories and all that craziness. But I really think that it's a great move to not announce anything, to not have anything moving, to actually enjoy. I want Endgame to be a movie. I don't want it to be a part of a series. I want it to end the series. I want to have it be... I want to walk out of that theater changed and I want it to be concluded. I don't want to be thinking about X-Men. I don't want to be thinking about Fantastic Four. 
door. And this allows that to happen. I want closure. I want to mourn these heroes we're going to lose. I want to actually have an experience. So I think that it's also not a coincidence that Spider-Man was talks at Sony for a long time and then all of a sudden in Ant-Man you get your first name drop of Spider-Man. I guarantee in that five year plan there will be groundwork laid for X-Men and Fantastic Four. Just because those characters won't be in them doesn't mean they're not laying groundwork for them. Ant-Man allowed you to tee up for Spider-Man and it was very quick that Spider-Man was in the universe. I think we're going to get certain name drops. I think there's also going to be a certain morning flavor to the movies that wouldn't allow you to build up to new things and I think you need to have that set aside. Mm. So it's not fair to assume Fantastic Four X-Men but you also have to remember Kevin Feige he, he thinks in 10-year chunks. This guy probably has some reserved ideas for things that he couldn't touch. I don't think we're going to have to wait a full five years. It might be three or four. If they're shooting Black Widow now, we're not going to see that until 2021 anyway. Like, movies take time to make. So people are freaking out that it's five years, but it's five years until everything is actually fully yeah, out. We yeah. might have a team-up movie in five years, but I think we're going to have a lot of things on the way to there. Wait, so Jeff, where do you stand with the X-Men and Fantastic Four thing? Are we going to have to wait a really long time? Could it be part of this five-year plan as far as we won't see it until the very end of it, or is this something that could be announced at Comic-Con and we'll see it sooner rather than later? Yeah, I don't, I don't uh, expect any announcements at Comic-Con, particularly Comic-Con, maybe at D23, but no, I, I think it's way too early on the X-Men uh, front. Uh, these films don't, I mean, they, they don't even have filmmakers. It's like it's not like anybody's been announced to take over the X-Men now that it's at Disney or take over Fantastic Four. Um, yeah, I, I would expect Feige and Marvel to play out everything that they have planned, uh, you know, for the next few years. Uh, and then you get into x-men and fantastic four at the end of that five-year plan yeah it's a very good point that it could not be san diego comic-con at all because uh, d23 2019 is from august 23rd to august 25th so could disney be ditching sdcc overall here's what i want them to ditch is the mcu okay dude make a standalone marvel movie not everything has to be part of the universe can we just get some stories outside of this larger universe that just have nothing to do with continuity or canon i don't just like eh. tell me a good story i guess my question to that would be would be why i feel like i wind up thinking the exact same thing when the continuity somewhere isn't as strong and the fact of the matter is feige has done a very good job constructing a strong continuity that i want to know more about that specific right, this world is, this is 22 movies right mm-hmm. within game and, and then apparently it's continuing with spider-man right uh, and, and then we're talking about sequels for Black Panther, potentially Doctor Strange. I'd like to see like a character who screams out for an obvious sequel like Doctor Strange mm-hmm. be totally killed off at the end of Endgame. And there is no Doctor Strange, too. That's it. That's the last you're seeing of Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange. They never do it with Black Panther, but maybe Doctor Strange. I'm not saying it'll definitely happen with Doctor Strange by any means, but I wouldn't be surprised if they pulled something like that if we're busy sitting here speculating mm-hmm. about someone who's going to get another installment. It's been or awfully even- quiet on that sequel. Even something with the Guardians, like if one of the Guardians that we're assuming is coming back for Guardians 3 just truly bit the dust in the next movie and then never returned. And James Gunn's been involved long enough, that could happen. And there's also the movies that we're getting in the future, it's not a coincidence that they're so out there and then close to home. Spider-Man is the most grounded superhero in the universe, in their universe, and then the Eternals are the farthest out there. They could have a decimation of these characters and we wouldn't know about what movies are greenlit going forward, which is why they shouldn't announce a five-year plan. I don't want Mm -hmm. a big big El Cap presentation where they spell out the next five years. I don't want that. 
I want to enjoy these movies as they come, and I don't want everything to have to be spelled out for me. Like, I already know about Shang-Chi. I already know about Black Panther 2. I already know about Spider-Man Far From Home. But that's kind of like, I don't want more. I, I want to appreciate. So I, I, I'm agreeing to a point of what you're saying. I want to appreciate the movies as they come. I don't mind the shared universe aspect, but I don't want to know the next five years of my life now. Well, actually, it's well worth pointing out that in this quote, he said that they do have a fleshed out five-year plan, but we're only going to get the first few years of that in whatever announcement that they're planning. So they're not going to go super crazy with saying, oh, you're going to get a million movies and then not make do Every studio, By the way, every studio has a five-year plan. Like, I, I don't understand. I operate two years in the future. Okay, I do my job. I'm out there making calls on movies that you won't see for two years. So I have a two-year plan. Okay, Marvel has a five-year plan. Every studio, like you know, that's just how development works. That's how long these things take time. I just don't understand why like this is news. That well, of course, of course, every single studio, every franchise out there has a five-year plan. The reason that it's news at this table right now is because we're about to get the big finish of a significant amount of MCU content. But is it the finish? That's a what fran- I'm saying. I think, I think a fran- it is. A if franchise this- that has had a significant impact on this industry, a very strong continuity, in my opinion. And yes, it's going to be the end of a generation in the MCU. And that actually leads me to my next question for you, Koi. So going into this five-year plan, we're, fi- we're basically closing out an era with Avengers Endgame. Mm-hmm. You don't want to just continue the same stuff over and over Except and over again. Except that's what again. they're doing on Disney+. We're getting Scarlet Witch, we're getting Falcon, we're getting Winter Soldier, we're getting Loki. Where are, can these characters bringing, go away? We're bringing back those characters in a completely different format. A format that we haven't seen. A format that we haven't gotten a taste of at all. For all we know, it'll be a different tone. It'll be a different style. Who knows what story they're going to tell. Marvel's it's a story trademark. we have they're experienced Full of different far. tones and styles. It is, it is true. They are experimenting more. We got 90s action with Captain Marvel. We get something different with Guardians. We got something different with Black Panther. Do you and really I think that these movies are different, Perry. They're yes, the exact I same. I think they're. I think they are a very effective use of enough similarities that they all feel like they're part of the same universe and they can all be connected. But they have their own style and flair, and I think that Marvel has been embracing that even more so than they have ever in the past couple of years by hiring directors who have something significant to say and some serious style to lay over these movies. I think they built brand loyalty so much so that they can take bigger chances, and I think that the five years. I think your question was about. Um, uh, like where things go in those five years yes. as far as their, their current IPs we know about. I think that leading into Netflix and not doing more movies with these characters is a way to keep the brand alive but also take bigger chances. I've, I've said before, I think Shang-Chi is going to feel like nothing else we've seen before. Mm-hmm. I, I think we're going to see... Spider-Man is the most like day player on the ground character that there's a reason that Avengers the next thing after that is him I think we lose Iron Man Thor and Cap I think the Avengers as we know it are completely gone so it will feel like he's referred to this as the Infinity Saga that is the most comic booky thing Kevin Feige could have mm-hmm. said to be like this is the end it's an omnibus you can pick up this omnibus of 22 movies and that's the end so I think Black Widow could even be a prequel I think there's there's a lot of things that they can do that's going to be a different timeline I don't I love that the movie's out in three weeks and we have no idea what we're dealing with going forward Forward, and I think that is the strength of the brand that no matter what, those movies are going to make $100 million. Like, I think no matter what, they could literally just like paint a stick figure and say Marvel, and I'd be like, okay. And, then, and there's a lot of people like that. So I think it's a strength of brand thing that I sh- they should keep doing, but I want to know as little as possible.
possible. Yep. I'm right there with you. We don't really know that much. That's why we have all those wonderful speculation videos up on the channel right now. And we were speculating recently about who delivers the death blow to Thanos. And I wish we had taped that after I saw the last trailer because I would have added Thor to my answer. I said Captain America and Iron Man in tandem. But with the cape, the three of them walking yes, up together, I shot. think it's going to take When like, I saw that shot, the first thing I said was, well, I'm wrong. And that's when they die. Yeah, but that's then, the shot of them walking there too. I was gonna say that too. Um, all right, we're moving on to another big story, another big franchise here, and actually another franchise that we're gonna be covering very heavily in the next couple of days because Star Wars Celebration is coming up. We will be on the ground covering the Mandalorian, Star Wars F9, you name it. So jumping into this story here, we basically just have some quotes from J.J. Abrams, and he details how he got involved in the project. So we know that Episode Nine was originally set to be co-written and directed by Colin. Tr- But then in the wake of the book of Henry, he backed out and said he left over creative differences. Then that's when J.J. Abrams returned. But in a new interview with Fast Company, Abrams said that he almost turned it down. He said that he was working on other things. But then Kathleen Kennedy called and said, would you really seriously consider coming aboard? And once that started, it all happened pretty quickly. The whole thing was a crazy leap of faith. He also revealed that he did toss out the previous script that Trevorrow was working on. He specifically said to have no script and to have a release date and have it be essentially a two-year window when you're saying to yourself, you've got two years from the decision to do it to release and you have literally nothing. You don't have the story, you don't have the cast, you don't have the designers, the sets. There was a crew and there were things that will be worked on for the version that preceded ours, but this was starting over. And then just to top it all off here, he also teased what we can expect from episode nine and he does seem pretty happy with it. He said, without jinxing anything or sounding more confident than I deserve to be. I feel like we're in a place where we might have something incredibly special, so I feel relief being home, and I feel gratitude that I got to do it, and more than anything, I'm excited about what I think we might have. Jeff, to kick this off here, does it surprise you whatsoever that they threw out Trevorrow's script and started fresh? No. I mean, J.J., you know, he, he does Force Awakens. They say, here, you get to tell the, the beginning of this new trilogy. Then they take it away from him, really, uh, and give it to Ryan Johnson. And then they're like, wait, 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 we need you to come back and, and fix it, really. Uh, it, like, of course, the guy jumps at the chance to do that and to finish telling the story the way that he, you know, started out to tell it. Uh, and if that means retconning Ray's parents uh, from whatever Ryan had tried to set up. You know, then he's going to do that. But I'm not surprised at all that he threw out Colin's script. I'm curious about your choice of words when you say take it away from him, because I, I can't recall off the top of my head right now any quotes about specifically why J.J. stepped away after episode seven. But is I mean, do you see it as them having taken eight away from him and given it to Ryan Johnson? Did J.J. Abrams direct a movie in between? Did he direct a movie in between Force Awakens and Episode Nine? Um, not that I can remember. I can't think of one actually off no. the top of my head. Yeah. I mean, and based that's on because these, he wasn't planning to. It's because he was planning these... to do the, the Last Jedi. There was friction there with, with with him and Kathleen Kennedy, and that's why it ultimately mm-hmm. took Kathleen Kennedy, being a bigger person, to invite him back into the fold, knowing 
that if she wants to fix this franchise or at least get get an ending that will satisfy people, you got to go back to, to JJ. Uh, the quote here does mention that he was working on something else when she came back to him, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the same timeline and the same project. So I don't know. I guess that could be the case. Um, Koi, how are you feeling about these quotes and specifically how high he already kind of praises episode nine? I'm only worried because the two years is such a quick turnaround. I thought that's an incredible feat for CGI and prep and everything else. But the, the good news is, like you said, he had a plan. Like he began seven with how I imagine he planned to end nine. So putting together a movie in two years seems insane. But if he already had a outline, if he was already fairly established where he wanted nine to go, but now I can't imagine seven and nine with what eight was in the middle. Like that must have been completely different what he had imagined. I personally think that you shouldn't have the bloodline be everything for Jedi. Personally, I'm of the of the mind of like I like the idea that Ray's parents were nobody's. I'm I'm of that world and I respect both sides of the Star Wars fandom and it's a very powerful fandom. Uh so I, I fear talking about it. Um but it's it's really tricky because that seems so counter to what the Force Awakens was. So I can't imagine what a movie that is going to be somehow the culmination of both Force Awakens and Last Jedi looks like with only two years of prep. Yeah. I'm in the the position where I really loved what he did with The Force Awakens, but I'm also a fan of the risks that Last Jedi took. So the thought of having to almost like, what not is necessarily that? combine the two, but I guess in a way, yeah, in Episode Nine, I don't quite know what to picture, but I would be very, very surprised if we would start, when Episode Nine comes out, if we're freely using the term retcon in terms of him taking certain plot points that Ryan Johnson introduced and completely erasing them. I think he's going to find a way to organically and naturally and justifiably basically take those a step further mm-hmm. where they land in a place that satisfy as many Star Wars fans as possible without actually saying, well, now you can wipe your hands clean of The Last Jedi. I think it's still going to be in play, and I think whatever J.J. does with Ep9 is going to make people go back to Last Jedi and maybe appreciate it more. I feel or like at least I hope that's the case. He's so clever. He's going to find ways to use seeds planted in 8 that might not have actually been seeds. I feel like he's going to really be creative with... I. This is a bit of a name drop, and I don't mean it to be, but uh, I, I've worked with J.J. Abrams in a movie, and there is no director that's as good a technical director as a personal hands-on actor director that I've worked for. He's so, his brain works on such a level that he's doing so many things at once, and he's able to tell stories in a frame that the dialogue's just an addition to. Like, you already know so much just from this, so if he needs, if there's someone that's going to combine 7 and 8, it's J.J. Abrams. Mm-hmm. If there's someone that's going to make the people happy that love The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, he loves this mythology. He bleeds Star Wars. There's This, this guy wants this to work, so if you want an ending that's going to satisfy the Skywalker saga, it's J.J. So if anyone else had said this quote, is I'd be worried. But in J.J. Abrams saying the quote of, I made this work in two years and I'm really proud of it, he's a Star Wars fan. So if he's proud of it, I'm excited for it. I'm feeling pretty confident right now. I'm just curious to see what happens on uh, Friday when we get to that panel, what they actually give us. Cause I, go, go for it. No, I was just like, what do we expect from directors when they're asked these kinds of questions? Of course he's going to say, yeah, I'm excited about it. Yeah, I think it's special. Yeah, I'm proud of it. Like, it's just, it's the same non-answer that everything, everything that comes out of Kevin Feige's mouth, none of these, none of these people are interesting in terms of quotes. Kevin, JJ, doesn't matter. They never say anything interesting. Well, JJ had the choice to not say what he said with the last quote. He didn't have to go as far to say, I don't want to jinx anything, but repeatedly said. 
say I'm very confident in what we had seems like a dangerous move where, you know, I know a good fluff quote when I read it where someone's like, yeah, everyone was great. It was a great experience. I, that's that's a whole bunch of BS. I read that last quote and he repeated himself in that point so many times <laughs> and it seemed genuine to me that I'm buying into we it. All, we all want to believe. I didn't know they'd thrown You're out right. the scripts. We do. I didn't know they'd thrown out Colin. Like, I, I assumed, but I for me, the quote was about the fact that he had two years. I hadn't put together the math in my head of like, holy crap, 24 months to make a Star Wars movie. So to me, the quote was more about the the making a diamond out of the pressure of that. So I was interested personally. Yeah, I'm I'm interested too. And you know what? Yeah, sometimes I want to believe and maybe that doesn't work out for me in the end, but I'm kind of glad that I want to believe and I don't not want to believe if that makes any sense, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to franchises that I've invested years of my life in. Yeah, like these movies aren't made to there's a certain thing they need to capture. They need to be entertaining, but they also need to appeal to fans and they also need to do things differently. And that's why I really like The Last Jedi is it did so much differently that a lot of people were mad at, but if they didn't like that, they had The Force Awakens. So for me, this is an opportunity to, to appease every kind of Star Wars fan and I, I don't know like this event we're finding out next week if that's been possible yeah fingers crossed I'm hoping for a title reveal and a you know not just a teaser trailer but a significant amount of footage at the very least we'll see what happens and we will report it to you all right here on the Collider video YouTube channel and also on Collider.com as well now is the time of the show where I get to remind you that we take your live Twitter questions don't forget short sweet something different have a little fun with it and use the hashtag Collider movie talk we'll pick some real soon all right story number three here is a Netflix update. So, in a move to further bolster Netflix's reputation as an ally for theatrical de- uh, distribution, Netflix is now in early talks to purchase the legendary Egyptian theater on Hollywood Boulevard. We got this news from Deadline, and they're reporting that Netflix is working to acquire the location from American Cinematique, and they're a nonprofit organization, and they use that theater to exhibit independent, classic, and foreign films, as well as special events as well and Q&As, things like that. This deal would find Netflix programming its own screenings on weekday nights while the Cinematique would continue to run its screenings, lectures, and occasional festivals on weekends. So, Jeff, what do you make of this news? Is this one, good for Netflix and also two, good for Cinematique? Um, yeah, I think it's a great deal for for everybody. I think you know th- this was an inevitability. The way that Netflix bought the billboard company last year, you know, to take over all the billboards around Los Angeles. Now they have like a, a home theater, so to speak, mm-hmm. that isn't its own screening room, which has you know pretty limited space if you've been inside the Netflix uh, screening room. Um, I think that this works out for everybody. The American Cinema Tech has been oh my bad yeah lo- losing um, you know losing money or operating as a nonprofit where you know they're struggling. To stay, to, to stay relevant and, and to survive, you know, it's it's tough out there for uh, an, an, art, an art house thing that uh, you know that only shows old movies. So I think that they could use uh, Netflix sort of coming in and taking the financial load off their shoulders. They're still going to be able to program all those old movies on the weekends and all the stuff that people are going mm-hmm. to the Egyptian theater for now. That'll still take place on the weekends. But yeah, Netflix wants to hold press screenings, premieres, events, that kind of stuff uh, at, at the Egyptian. I think it makes a ton of sense for yeah, both sides. It does seem like the best of both worlds and I was really encouraged because I think 
think this is the way the dot-com article put it. When I first started reading, uh, I believe it was the deadline piece, I started to think, oh, no, they're basically steamrolling a little independent entity that has a couple festivals like Beyond Fest that I really enjoy. And now they're not going to be here because this major corporation is taking over. And the thought of them using it for their own good, but also keeping that organization up and running and keeping some of those special events that we really don't get enough of here, even in L.A., that is really encouraging. One, just because it stays alive and thriving. But two, I don't know. I think it does kind of speak to speaks to Netflix's intentions and maybe their respect for the industry and smaller films and really kind of what I praise them for on a regular basis, which is take bigger risks with different kinds of movies and different filmmakers that other companies haven't really done as much of lately. Koi, what do you make of this news? And also, do you think this is only the start? Are they going to acquire more theaters or basically make this a flagship? So they've been playing with Netflix for a while now. Like uh, Velvet Buzzsaw's premiere was there, which is a Netflix film. And Mm -hmm. I think it's been a slow roll into testing the waters. And I think it's been going well. And I love this theater. Like, I have so much history at the Egyptian. Like, the Egyptian is one of my go-tos. It's where I bring friends with it from out of town. They they had this amazing uh, Sam Rockwell Q&A where they showed Box of Moonlight and another of his films like eight years ago. And it was one of the first times I felt like L.A. still had a film scene. Like, it was one of my first, like, L.A. film moments. And it was just the whole room was so alive with that independent film flavor. And I was so happy to be there. So the Egyptian, personally, very invested. But also, all these theaters around town, you go downtown, there's so many dead theaters. You see all across downtown Los Angeles, there are dozens of just empty shells of theaters. And it's so nice to know that at least two to three days a week, we will get to have the programming if that means Netflix picks up the other one. But we also, a lot of people don't talk about IPIC. Um, IPIC Cinemas, which is a dine-in theater in Westwood and Pasadena, has a deal with Netflix where they screen their Netflix movies for that week that comes out to give them the Oscar contention and all that stuff. So I think that this has been in the process for years, and I think that this is the beginning of their escalation of it. I think they they get their Oscar you know, accreditation through IPIC and now they have their own theater and then it grows and grows. And I think this will be the, when we look back, be like, Oh, remember they started that with the Egyptian. Like mm-hmm. this is just the beginning. I like the idea. I think they're going to do the same there. thing in New York too. I mean, yeah. they, they, find they, they have to again for the, for the, uh, Academy of Qual- Qualifications, mm-hmm. you got to screen, uh, at least in one theater in, in LA County and New York. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I imagine that, the, that they will buy a New York, uh, venue just to do that for the same reason, you know, to, to have a, a, a headquarters where people can come to the Netflix theater. And if they want to pay money to see Netflix movies on the big screen, whenever the big releases that week, that, that, that is what they'll do. They'll throw events there, premieres, parties, etc. And that's kind of nice to see these movies in theaters. Like we, we talked about Velvet Buzzsaw where I got so much of that movie and I think it's a theatrical experience like I haven't rewatched it out of fear of rewatching it because when I watched it there were oohs there were ahs there was cacophonous laughter like the actual experience of Velvet Buzzsaw at the premiere was so lively that I loved the movie and I feel like I'm in the minority in that but the theatrical experience made that so if Netflix can pivot their movies that need that audience I would so much rather them have a home plus if I can watch Stranger Things in the big screen I'm very happy Oh, like, I would those things that, that would never heartbeat. you know what I mean I mean that's the other thing is yes. I, I think I would pay to see some of their TV shows on the big would. screen as well. And that, that is what they are going to do with that. I'm almost I love I'm the almost sound of positive. that. Stranger Things 3, I'm all for. Like oh, those I type of things. It's, it's perfect. Yeah. All right. Good things on the horizon then for Netflix. Uh, next story here is an interesting one. I still can't believe we're saying this. Paramount is reportedly gearing up for a prequel to Grease titled Summer Loving. The studio tapped John August to pen the script. No word yet on exactly how he plans to bring this story to screen. Oh boy. Uh, the only talk question I could come up with for this one is what do you guys think is a worse idea a Grease prequel or the Cats movie that we're getting 
at least cats might be like drug times. Like at least it might be like, you know, watching an acid trip with like weird great actors playing cats. Like I don't think Grease will even be fun on acid. Like I just like there's a different cats is so weird it might work, whereas this is just I picture Mutt, I picture Shia LaBeouf running around in the greaser jacket. Like I don't want I don't want I don't want either. And I was like a big Grease kid growing up where I loved the first movie and I loved I loved the second one too quite a bit. But I kept thinking with this one because I, it was probably because I read Vinny's piece before I read the source article here. And it's just, Vinny brings up certain jokes and certain things that happen in Grease that are just so insanely dated and inappropriate yeah. now. I mean, that doesn't stop me from still loving it to this day, but it's going to be interesting to see how they change the tone of like that kind of you know, relationship, I guess, on the big screen. Tell me more. Tell me more, Perry. <laughs> uh, Leave it to you. Uh, well, I think this is a bad idea. Uh, but having seen the Cats presentation at CinemaCon, uh, my answer is Cats. Cats is going to be worse. <laughs> cats. I, what is the story of Cats? People who have even seen the Cats musical can't even tell me what the story of Cats is. Uh, they all have weird names. That seems completely ridiculous. I couldn't stand Les Mis, and that's like a great story, the story of Les Mis, and that movie was atrocious. Uh, so I think Cats is going to be an abomination. Well, I, you just have to describe in your own words what it was like watching that behind-the-scenes featurette, because just reading the descriptions online, I'm almost like I'm jealous that I didn't get to cringe with everybody. I mean, I'm just like, why it, this this guy Tom Hoover? Like, well, you can do anything, really, right? <laughs> he won an Oscar for the King's Speech, didn't he? Like, why do you want to keep doing these m- musicals that aren't even like interesting musicals, like Guys and Dolls or West Side Story? Why is Universal? I know that they have like this rich musical history, but I just don't know. Like this before Wicked. You know, like they've been developing Wicked for years. They can't get Wicked off the ground. What is going on what there? What is going on with Wicked? When are we going to get that already? They're, Cast the roles. They could have Wicked out maybe for next December, like if, if they end up casting uh, the summer or something. I don't know. Um, I think it is becoming a little bit more active. Um, but yeah, Cats just looks <laughs> terrible. Well, you know, after all this, we all ended up on the same page. It's yes. a magical journey to the Grease <laughs> prequel. All right. We got some plugs for you guys right now. Tomorrow, we're very busy here at Collider, of course, as always, you have Collider Live in the morning, a new episode of Collider Movie Talk right here for PMPT as well. And oh, there is a show called Heroes tomorrow. Koi, what are you guys talking about? Right there in the middle between live and movie talk, we've got Collider Heroes. Uh, we're talking about we finally get our Shazam spoiler full reviews coming out. Uh, we talk about that Joker trailer, which dropped moments after last week's taping of Heroes. So I have sat for six days on probably my favorite superhero trailer in years. It is a tremendous trailer, so we talk about that. It is uh, uh, Collider Heroes episode 300, so we celebrate our 300, wow. and it's our Venom issue. So it's a, it's a big episode, and uh, there's so much going on in the world of comic films, so check out tomorrow's episode. And that's not it. I think you got something else cooking there. You had a killer first episode of your uh, comic book shopping with Zach Levi, of course, yeah. and that's only the beginning of it. Who's who's up next? So we, uh, we've we decided only to bring in uh, leads that are six foot four uh, to make <laughs> sure that I look properly uh, statured, and uh, David Harbour is joining us for next weeks on Tuesday. A week from today we are dropping our second episode of Comic Book Shopping. I got to hang out with Hellboy, with Hopper, with the guy from Newsroom. I freaking love David Harbour. He is 
he is so passionate about Hellboy. He is so passionate about acting. He is so invested in the characters he plays, and he's just the raddest. Like, the guy is Hopper, and I can't wait to share it with you guys. And we talked all sorts of stuff. We talked a little bit of Black Widow. We talked a lot of Hellboy. Check it out. I'm, I'm really proud of this one. I can't wait to watch it. My interview from the Hellboy Junket with David Harbour just went up, and what a freaking delight. He's amazing. He's, he's a really, really cool dude. I was glad I got to talk to him he's for eight, five minutes. Infinitely charming, and he stays like in this very jubilant space, but he doesn't have like a bubbly energy, so his jubilance is very reserved, and it's a very interesting... like. He's fascinating. I love David Harbour. He's it's great. All I want to know is, will there be cake for the 300th episode of Heroes? Because if so, I'll come in. There'll be cake. <laughs> Good. I'm now committed to cake. There's still some bagels on the table. <laughs> Remember, Jeff? The bagels were your welcome back. Go indulge. <laughs> I didn't right. see any cream cheese. <laughs> we have some Twitter questions to get to right now. And I wanted to kick off with this, tw- this one question here from Matthew Spencer, because it's something we didn't have time to cover on today's show. He's asking, what did you think of the new Adams Family movie trailer? I thought the designs were weird, but, but uh, were appropriate for this odd family. The quirky music from RDJ's Sherlock Holmes matched so well with the classic theme at the beginning of the trailer. Did you guys get a chance to watch this one? I've seen still. I haven't watched it yet. But I like the character designs. I like the cartooniness. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to keep remaking Adam's Family, why not go for it? Like, keep going bigger. And Oscar Isaac is, I mean, that's perfect. Yeah. I've seen a thousand movie trailers in the last week, and that's the one I did not see. Oh, really? <laughs> um, I did get around to watching it. I thought it, I thought it was cute. I've always been a big uh, fan of the Adam's Family, and I think I will pretty much never say no to another rendition of it and I kind of liked the the quirky designs here they worked really well and I don't know just kind of reuniting with those characters makes me feel like I'm stepping back into that world and that is the weird world I want to exist in so I'm all for it all right next question here this is from Louis E. de la Pena who's asking in honor of Shazam what would your secret word to transform into a superhero be I feel like we've covered that one. Lewis, did you ask that before? I wasn't here. That's great. I feel like we've discussed that. (laughs) Apparently you guys haven't, so we're safe. Yeah. I I mean, a a word to turn into a superhero? (laughs) Did you see Shazam, Jeff? Yeah. And did you like it? That was okay. All right. I was curious. It's fine. It's fine. I, I would yell out onomatopoeia. Because it is very comic-y. It's very hard to say. So it would accidentally like, be like walking through the streets and be like, I'm on a p- oh! like, it's a word you have to intentionally say. And it, it kind of fits the whole being a superhero, like visual, comic-y. Yeah, onomatopoeia, I would yell. I feel like I'd now I'm remembering the conversation because whoever was sitting in your seat told me to say, hold on to your butts. <laughs> which, which is very appropriate. Except I was actually thinking about this the last time I saw Shazam. You need a word or a phrase with fewer syllables. Because like, what if you were in, you know, facing off against oh, yeah. a villain, and you had to say it really quick and change. Yeah, on a monopoly would be a struggle underwater. I would just snap. Okay, but what would that like tie into your powers? I don't know, but it would it would make the transition happen really quick. But so what I could if you're just, what if you're like watching West Side Story and you get into it, and then you're just like, ah, like I what? mean, it who knows a, what might happen? It could be really entertaining for whoever's <laughs> watching West Side Story with me. I'm gonna steal a line from Jerry Seinfeld, and my word would be Newman. <laughs> I right. knew that hero. Here's another, uh, you know, naming thing. This question came from Neil Varma, and he's asking, "Hey, all, a fun little question. Say you get your own movie studio, what would you name it?" I got this one. Uh, I would take the name from my summer camp color war team, and it would be called uh, Breakthrough Pictures. Breakthrough Pictures. Breakthrough is a very long word that's only two syllables. Hmm. Okay. Yep. Like I had a breakthrough. Breakthrough pictures. Boom. 
Um, as a kid, I wanted to name my studio Picturesque Productions, but I realized that sounds even more douchey as an adult. Uh, I would go with Living the Dream because whenever whenever you're like talking about it, you're making movies, right? You're living the dream. So you've accomplished that mm. thing. You're living the dream. You see it up in the thing. You're watching a movie. You're living the dream. Like sitting down in a theater is a religious experience. Watching a movie at home, religious experience. So every time that pops up, hopefully the quality is good. If it's my studio, Living the Dream. I think Living the Dream LTD. Ooh, I like Ooh. that. LTD, yeah, LTD, LTD Living the Dream. All. Boom. Boom. If this I, isn't a thing yet, someone just took what's it. What's yours, Living the dream, LTD. Now, at first I was trying to think of some way to incorporate Dewey's name into it because I would want Dewey to be my logo. But then I started to think realistically. And when we were making Child Eater, we thought about starting our own company. And it was going to be because there's a Black Stork element. It was going to be Black Stork Productions. And it was going to have a really cool logo like that we that. had designed. But yeah, I, see it. I, I, I like liked it. And stork. also, you know, it taps into the, the little like sinister horror vibes in me. So yeah. it seemed, I like this, seemed appropriate. I, I like Black Stork. And yeah. it's carrying like a little bundle with letters, and then it just drops it, and the letters spill out, and it spells out Black Stork. I like that. I can You're, picture the art, too. You should go into business logos. just yeah. making logos. Living yeah. the Dream LTD is strong. That's fantastic. Oh, well, we're set. We could leave now. We're good now. Bye. All right, start a new job, guys. <laughs> All right, not before we answer another question here. And actually, Jeff, this is a perfect question for you. Brian Knight is asking, what is the dispute between the WGA and ATA about? Also, how will it impact the film industry? Can you give a little 101? Uh, I thought we were going to discuss this on, on an upcoming episode. Um, man, uh, the WGA wants to, if not end packaging entirely, they, they, they just... There's a real conflict of interest because the, the agencies these days are now owned by like these gigantic hedge funds, and so they have uh, they're demanding greater profits and greater profit margins, and it just doesn't pay to represent writers and directors and actors these days. Like that's why these companies have had to diversify, and you see WME getting into UFC and all these other like revenue streams, um, and packaging is one of those. And if you were to take packaging away from a lot of these agencies, those agencies would be out of business within a period of months. And packaging because- is put the project together, getting right. the talent together. And it's like, I don't really understand why, like, packaging is, is a decades-old practice, um, but I don't know. I feel like it, representatives have, have been negotiating for themselves, like, even whether, forget whether something is in a, a client's best interest or not, they're, they're always trying to get themselves on as producer. managers are trying to get themselves on as producers, that kind of stuff. Um, agents are saying, you know, if, if we're not even going to get a package and it's not, it's not even worth my time to, to put my client my writer client on this tv show whatever it is um and and so i think that I, i'm definitely like on the uh, pro wga side like something has to happen I, I realize there needs to be a compromise you can't just get rid of packaging at all because then agencies are going to go out of business and you can't just i don't see all these writers firing their agents because i mean you have to have someone who's who can secure work for you and you can't just empower the managers to do it because it's against state laws um but yeah something definitely needs to change because it is a broken system and and the writers are the ones getting screwed like uh, you know when i sit down with agents the agents are the ones driving these nice cars in these nice fancy clothes with nice watches and all this stuff the writers just don't live like that and they <laughs> should be the agents work for the writers yeah. they should be getting 10% of what the writers get like i know writers don't have to pay commission on packages but uh, i don't know it's it's a very complicated situation and i hope that the 
figure it out and figure it out soon because it really could change the entire industry if the, if mm-hmm. those fees were to go away or you know be redispersed elsewhere. Well, thanks for the basics here. Hopefully we can dig into that uh, a little deeper sooner. But we have a really pressing Twitter question right now, and it's again for you, Jeff. This comes from I can't say it without laughing. I was going to say at blah 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 because that's what we were talking about before. I've completely ruined the jokes. It, it's it's a lie right now, Jeff. What are you hearing about the Bill and Ted movie? I haven't heard anything on terms of casting, but I do have this fun little tidbit for you guys. I do hear that uh, they're looking for two uh, teenage girls to play the daughters of Bill and Ted. That yes. they are both going to be the fathers of daughters who are friends themselves in the movie and. In addition to that, I think that the new Rufus character, who obviously won't be named Rufus, but she sort of fits that uh, that that part in the script. Sorry, it's going to be a woman. It's not going to be. It's, it's not going to be a guy. Spoiler alert. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm I feel excited. like because of Booksmart, I'm like just cast Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Deaver in those roles. That would be kind of cool. Yeah. I would like it. I've, I've heard that they're terrific. Um, I don't know. If the if the girls will be kind of like bimbos like like their fathers were, you know, if you kind of like it would be funny if Bill and Ted had really smart, smart. daughters, yeah. yeah, like stoic, or, like or just like you guys are morons, like. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm definitely curious who they end up getting for the for those roles, but in particular this this female Rufus, so to speak. I like like uh, Aubrey Plaza playing Keanu Reeves' daughter, but she's like whip smart and not like bogus at all. But she's like super concentrated. She's a little old. I could see her actually being the female Rufus. Uh, into that, yeah. I would would like that as well all right i think we have time for one more question and we're going to go back to some marvel on this this is from lance green who's asking if sony doesn't extend its agreement with disney to work together on spider-man do you think far from home takes place before infinity war that question has been bandied around for 800 reasons for the last two years uh well, not two years because Infinity War came out last year, but everyone's been theorizing that for a very long time. I don't think there's a version of this where the continuity isn't a little messy. I don't think there's a version of this hmm. where we don't have... Like, there's going to be, obviously, the in-game ending will tie into Far From Home. It's just we've already had some continuity issues with, like, Homecoming, with the timeline and all that stuff. Like, having two studios st- share a character is hard. I don't know how much Sony's going to want to play ball with Spider-Man after this because of how well Venom did, because of what how quick they're moving ahead with their own universe. I could see Spider-Man Far From Home being the end of that shared agreement. That could mean a certain thing for how they handle Spider-Man in Endgame. I think that, I don't know, I'm curious. Yeah, what do you, what do you think, Jeff? Is this deal going to come to an end sometime soon? On one hand, I think it should because it's like, why is Disney, why is Sony licensing out its biggest cal- uh, character to Disney? Like Disney doesn't need it, um, and, and I think Venom did prove that that Sony's Marvel movies can sort of stand on their own. But on the other hand, it's like, why would you uh, get rid of that association with Marvel? I think it makes the Spider-Man movies more of of a must see type event because they are sort of uh, parallel to the MCU or part of the MCU, if you will. Um, so. I, I, I don't know if they renew it. That, that, it's a tough question. Spider Verse as well. Like Spider Verse was really separate and it worked and it was really you know fascinating and did well. And I, I really like. I've never been more on the fence about it because I, I love Spider Man in the Marvel Universe, but I also I think it can live do, without it. Do, does Spider Man have a future after this Avengers movie? You know, like like I don't know like if he where needs does to be an he Avenger. fit in, into these other movies that they're that they're doing going forward? I don't know that he does fit. So I, I don't know. Yeah, well, that's part of it. the reason why I've kind of really dove into this, you know, 
Endgame ends in a place where there's different timelines because that can easily explain away why we I don't have not. Tom Holland Spider-Man anymore. New dimension. Yeah. Telling you. Goes, I, goes through Ant-Man's quantum start, realm. I'm starting to think that way. I'm starting to think that's how they do it. And maybe even we wind up with uh, with almost like more than one MCU happening parallel to each other. I think the Tom Holland in Far From Home. nightmare, isn't I think, it? Yes, it, I it think really the, is. The Tom Holland in Far From Home will not be the Tom Holland we lost in Infinity War because Tom Holland in Infinity War is actually dead. I think Spider-Man Far From Home. That's what I was trying to God. avoid saying, but I think Spider-Man Far From Home is the beginning of a different universe of Spider-Man. I think it's it's happening after Endgame for a reason. I think we meet a new Spider-Man at, at Endgame, and I think that's going to go My head hurts listening to this, <laughs> and I really hope that they just leave all that multiverse crap in the Spider-Man movie, the animated Spider-Man movie, because it, it's crap. Time will tell. Three weeks. Oh. Wasn't a fan. Three weeks. You weren't a fan of Spider-Verse? I wasn't a fan of all the, the, the multiverse stuff. I don't need that in live action. Oh, boy. For sure. This is a discussion no. for another show. <laughs> but you know what? Everyone's entitled to their opinion. True. We have some fun banter going on here. But you know what? If this isn't your thing. In another whatever. universe, it is. In another universe, I'm a really <laughs> nice guy. Universe, Jeff loves the MCU. Marvel underoos right now. <laughs> oh, all right, guys. We are out of here. Jeff Coy, thank you guys so much for joining me today. Adam in the booth. Another round of applause to you because you are awesome. Guys, thank you so much for watching this episode. As always, please don't forget to like and share this video. Tell everybody you know about the podcast as well. We're going to be back tomorrow, 4 p.m. PT, live for a brand new episode. Featuring a Marvel and Star Wars news, probably. <laughs> Napa know this month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.